Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Monday edition of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Mitch Light will be our guest today. We will talk Vanderbilt basketball and baseball. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. It was a bad weekend for Vanderbilt baseball. The Commodores lose two of three to Georgia. Jack Leiter, who pitched brilliantly again on Saturday, one of the few bright spots for the Commodores. Vanderbilt plays Eastern Kentucky in the midweek and then heads to Tennessee for a three-game series starting on Friday. Also, some basketball news broke literally as we were doing the podcast, so you can hear us discuss that in real time, or at least real time as we heard it. Mitch appears on the guest line, our guest line presented by my friends Scott and Missy Tannen at Bowling Branch. I have raved about Bowling Branch sheets ever since I got them. I've slept on them virtually every night for about seven years now. Try them for yourself. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Get your free trial for 30 days. You can return them after that, but you're not going to want to. They are made of 100% rain-fed organic cotton. That probably means nothing to you, but I promise you, try them, sleep on them, and you will see what that means. They are the most comfortable sheets I've ever slept on, and they get more comfortable with every washing. Give them a try. Help the people who help the podcast out. Try Bowling Branch sheets today, and again, you're not going to be disappointed. Mitch Light joins us on the podcast today. Mitch, hope you had a good weekend. Lots to talk about. Uh, Let's start with basketball. Scotty Pippen Jr. is going pro, although he leaves himself an out, has not signed with an agent. I hear he is working out down in Miami. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, not not a great surprise. Um, figured that he would test the waters. I would have been surprised if he'd signed with an agent. Um, and um, the fact that he's in Miami, I think he's probably taking classes remotely. I don't know that for sure, because even if you know, even he, if you I've transfer, heard that he is. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if he wanted to transfer, if he wasn't taking classes remotely, then he's pretty. That's basically the equivalent of signing with an agent, because um, you're not, you can't, you know, if you're not taking classes and you're not in school this semester, and you'd, you'd have a tough time even transferring. So um, who knows? Uh, you know what he's gonna, what's gonna happen? I've given up trying to be a scout. Um, he's got a unique game that we've talked about. It's not one that's based on athleticism yet. He still seems to get by everyone with a quick first step and he's a good shooter. He's obviously a smart player. He's not the biggest dude in the world. Um, you know, we sat here at this point last year, kind of surprised at Saban Lee, you know, I didn't think Saban Lee would make a roster and he's started some games and he's been a, uh, a solid player at times this year. So, uh, obviously would be a big loss for Vanderbilt. Um, but in this day and age where you lose some, you, you, you know, not, they're not going to, if Scotty Pippen doesn't come back, Vanderbilt's not going to find a comparable player or someone who means as much to this team who knows the system as well. That doesn't mean they won't get a starting caliber point guard via the transfer portal. And it looks like there's a very good chance of Liam Robbins, the kid from Minnesota transferring. So it's not all doom and gloom. If Scotty Pippen doesn't come back though, that would obviously be a, a significant loss just because he's a very, very good player. And in this age of roster changes every year, there's going to be something to be said about 
um, continuity with, with rosters too. We're, we're going to see a lot of these teams having older rosters with guys transferring in, but there's going to be some transfers that aren't good fits and all that. So, you know, ideally you don't want to have to add to your roster by the transfer market. You want continuity, but very few schools are achieving that right now. Yeah, I think Tyron Lawrence is going to have to be really good next year because they lost Isaac McBride to the portal, which, frankly, I've said this on the podcast before. I, that was always just an, an odd deal, the way he left Kansas, the way he didn't get recruited by his school and state. I don't think he was as highly sought as people would have perceived by a guy who'd just gone to Kansas. Yeah, and I didn't, like, when that happened, I didn't, you know, I wish the best for the kid. I wish he came back to Vanderbilt, but that one didn't move the needle much for me. Um, he's not really a true point guard. He, would he be a, a good player, Vanderbilt, over the course of his career? Probably. He, he hit some big shots down the stretch in, in certain games. But, uh, you know, again, that one didn't – I wasn't shocked by it. didn't move the needle much. And um, I don't pretend to know him at all. But like you said, anyone who's been at, you know, two schools in, in two years and then moves on again, you don't know what, what, what what's going on there. So, um, yeah, um, it, with Lawrence – his ACL tear wasn't at an optimal time because it wasn't like before the season, but I imagine there's a good chance of him being back at the beginning of the season. Have you heard anything on that? I haven't. I mean, we didn't get a chance to see what he really was because he didn't yeah. play a lot before he got hurt. And I think he and Stackhouse so, are particularly first, close. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I think from what I heard and this may be spin, he was kind of the guy that Stackhouse pinned as his point guard. Um, I, I don't know what he saw in practice that maybe hadn't translated, or if there was a, maybe the maybe there was a build up to the knee injury to where he'd been hobbled for a while and there was finality to it. If that makes sense, I don't know what the thing is, but for some reason, what I've heard is that's a guy that Jerry really likes. Yeah, and you get, we didn't see much of it, but um, you know, again, like some of his athleticism there, and just the hope is that he is recovered in time i forgot his surgery was what in early in january or uh, which nowadays you i guess nine months you can come back and you know who, who knows but uh um obviously he's a guy that they're gonna have to rely on trey thomas was better than anyone thought hit some big shots um i don't think he's in every every you know a full 30 minute point guard um at, at this level especially with his not just his height his you know his lack of uh, strength and stuff. So uh, Lawrence would be would be key. Is, is Peyton Daniels? I know he's listed as a combo guard. Is he considered a a, a point guard option? From what you know, uh, I do not know. I mean, I, I would think if he's a combo, then there's a possibility. But I, you know, yeah. And and then the thing too, and I, I said this on another podcast last week. I just think everybody's ability to evaluate players has been limited as much in the last year, so it's just hard to know. I mean, people weren't out scouting these guys at much. Schools weren't allowing kids in. So whatever information we have on players is probably more incomplete than it's ever been. Yeah, good point. And, you know, certain guys come in as combo guards and show the ability to play points. Some don't. Um, some develop it later in their career. And, and certain offenses don't rely on point guards as much as as others do and you can you know it's you you can you can make offensive adjustments so you just need some good guards and that's that's the hope that you know he comes in and can play and can play right away and and that Lawrence comes back healthy and um so you know we'll, we'll have to see but uh just the it, assuming Pippen does not come back then obviously put some pressure on some guys that uh, weren't necessarily counting on for major minutes next year let's talk baseball 
I knew that at some point, well, I didn't know. I suspected at some point just by the nature of baseball. In fact, I'd predicted that they would lose the series at LSU last weekend and, and look silly doing it. Uh, I guess it was a weekend early, but yeah, I mean, at some point you're, you're due one of these. I just expected it to be more of a, you know, they lose two one-run games and a you know, maybe maybe a seven-two game or something, and there was just a clunker. But I didn't expect the scores we saw. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone could realistically expect that. And um, you know, the thing about Vanderbilt had made it look remarkably easy. And I think I was yes. watching. I was watching a game, maybe the Tennessee game on Saturday, and Chris Burke made the points like, you know, after the LSU series, I was going to say Vanderbilt looked like a double A team. You know, that's what we are. We, we are prisoners of the moment. We watch a series. In any sport, you watch a team, and that's kind of your lasting impression. Vanderbilt had done it, starting with the, you know, obviously in the pre-conference they were good, but I'll call the Oklahoma State. That was an SEC caliber series. Uh, they'd been impressive in just every way. Even, even we talked about this last week. Even though Thomas Schultz wasn't winning games and they made the move, it wasn't like he was bad. He was pitching for the most part well enough to give them a chance to win games. They won the LSU series. Um, so, yeah, it's just I, I, the phrase, it's baseball, whatever, you know, where there's some troubling signs, of course. But I guess my point being, even with Locker and Ryder, there's no guarantee. See what I'm Ryder. doing to you. I've, I'm yeah. responsible for this. Yes. Um, there's no guarantees. It's just, we, especially on a Friday night or Thursday night as it's been, there's good pitching on the other side. And you are, okay, let's say he doesn't lose, doesn't give up those runs in the fifth inning. I know that's part of it. First inning, I was just, I actually went to the game Thursday with a buddy. I just get in the seats, but if just getting in my seats in the first inning, but there was a slow ground ball that got through the hole for a base hit, and then a walk, and then a blast. And I mean, so you might lose that game three one because you're going against a good pitcher. So that's my point. Like even lighter, lighter give up a run, you could lose two to one or one, one to nothing. So there's no guarantees that you're going to win those games. But Vanderbilt had been making it look easy with so much depth throughout the lineup. Now, obviously the injuries. Haven't helped with Isaiah Thomas being out, Tate Colwick being out. It just it, it, it thins it shortens your lineup a little bit. Um, so I, I don't know the status of Thomas. I know he wasn't active last week. He was in uniform. Um, so um, you know they didn't hit. I think they got exactly eight hits in each game, which you you know you'd like to see a little bit more. Georgia pitched very well. Is that Georgia pitching well? Vanderbilt not hitting well. Combination of everything. Um, so yeah, not an ideal series, but. Nine and three through 12 games. A nine and three stretch in any 12 games against any SEC competition is outstanding. So, um, you know, obviously those of us that follow the program would, would, you know, you'd rather take two or three in that series. Didn't happen, but uh, um, still a good, this team's in a good spot. Well, let's rewind Friday just a little bit, okay? If I tell you a team is going to get eight hits, take 10 walks, I think there might have been a hit by pitch in there go two for two in steals, and oh, by the way, four of those hits are doubles. How many runs do you think they score? Um, a decent amount. <laughs> well, I did the math on this because there's a thing out there where you can you can plug those in, and it tells you how many runs they score. The answer is 9.9. Um, so, so the odds that they put together the number and nature of base runners that they did, and that includes the times they struck out and hit into double plays, by the way, uh, that, that's that's one of those things you could probably play that game a hundred more times, and they might only score two, you know, once or twice. But but it is you know, and, and then if you go if they're scoring, 
seven or eight runs or whatever, you go into the last inning, you probably don't throw Grayson more, then it gets really out of hand. But but that's baseball. I mean, the, the point is that they got pretty well whipped most of the weekend start to finish. You can, you can draw it up as you like. I don't think they'll play that badly again, but I do think that the injuries, this was the weekend, like you reach a tipping point, right, where they sustain injuries, they sustain injuries, but they got enough depth to kind of still – keep on chugging. They lose a little bit, but not enough to lose games. It seemed to me like this weekend was the point where all that added up and like, oh, uh, this is kind of the tipping point right here where as they've lost another guy or two, that's when you see the drop off. Maybe that's just trying to make sense of what we saw, but if you start to add the list of guys they've lost, it makes sense to me. Yeah, totally. And um, and even yesterday, I got tickets to the last minute yesterday or Saturday and this obviously did not be the case, was not the case after the fourth or fifth inning. I don't have the box score in front of me because Georgia pounded the ball later in the game. But if you watch the first three innings, four innings of that game, there was just one of those where Georgia made some really nice defensive plays. They did uh, on Thursday as well that, that Vanderbilt was hitting the ball harder. Um, just, I think, someone lined out at one point. Um, Georgia's RBI was kind of a chopper up the middle. Vanderbilt and RBI situation, I think Rodriguez maybe hit the ball or Bolger hit the ball hard up the middle, and Georgia made the play. Um, so I, I was thinking at that point, okay, you know, Vanderbilt's hitting the ball hard, it'll come around. But then obviously Georgia's the team that started to hit the ball um, much harder and, and clearly deserved to win that game. So, uh, yeah, I mean, th- there weren't many ifs in this series. Vanderbilt won a game with some clutch hitting in game two, but really, you know, there, there's no way you could look at games one and three and say, oh, a couple of things go bounce their way, they're going to win those games. They got, you know, they got outplayed. The season of the podcast brought to you by my friend Jody Jones. He's a former Commodore football player. And if you need work done on your teeth, Jody's the guy you need to see. Go see him at 55 Music Row East. He treats all kinds of stars, athletes, movie stars, country music stars, all kinds of people in the industry. They trust Jody because the service is phenomenal. You walk in, it feels and looks like a spa. If you want to have the best smile you can have, go see my buddy Jody Jones DDS. Again, that's Jody Jones Dentistry, 55 Music Square East in Nashville. Tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Yeah, Georgia is, I think, a good team. Georgia has had a lot of guys out. Uh, The two pitchers we saw who dominated were not available the first weekend or two. So those guys are just getting back and getting in the groove. Cannon is going to be, I think, a first-rounder, and Webb is going to be picked somewhere. Uh, He could have gone last year. He was good enough. I don't know where the projections would have been because it was only a five-run draft, but he was good enough that, like, he came out and and said, hey, I'm I'm, I'm coming back instead of signing a free agent contract. In other words, enough people wondered about his status that that he did that. So those were two really good arms that people, uh, that, that Georgia threw I think Vanderbilt fans, if I got a criticism, they tend to discount some of that at times. Um, but I sat right behind the plate because they still won't let us in the box. And you can tell when you sit that close when a pitcher is really on and is more than just these guys aren't swinging the bats well. And I promise you that was the case for both those kids. Yeah, no, I was. I did not. In fact, I did not know they they missed some time earlier in the SEC season. Um, yeah, I thought they were. Thought they were very good, and and I missed all of game two. My son had a game the entire time, basically, and so I noticed that Georgia made three errors. I don't know the extent of the errors, but I thought Georgia's defense was outstanding, especially Thursday night and also Sunday. Just made all the plays, and 
um, you know, that, that can be a, a huge difference, you know, not, you know, c- cutting down a, cutting down a, a infield hit or something like that, or obviously making a play in the outfield, you know, one guy made a running catch up against the wall and left. So, you know, I, I thought you would, you would have thought George had a better record, but just based on watching them play. Yeah. And you know, who else killed Vanderbilt is, uh, Garrett Blaylock, who of course started out at Vandy, I think was yeah. he was on the national title team. I think, right? No, I looked two thousand. Was it the year before? Yeah, it was two thousand eighteen. Um, and he played played in second base. He was a Vanderbilt. He was a third first baseman, mostly third. He's a giant first baseman. So yeah, I was having this discussion with some people. There haven't been too many guys that have been transferred out or, you know, squeezed out in a roster crunch that have that that have really been turned out to be really good players, you know, it's like, all right, you know, wish that guy was back here. He, he's, I'm, I'm not saying he's not necessarily better than Parker Nolan or Jason Gonzalez this year. His average wasn't great. He's obviously got some pop. Um, but the point being, there haven't been, you know, for as many guys that transfer out because of the roster squeeze and lack of playing time, um, it seems like for the most part that, that, that Tim and his staff have, have, you know, kept on to the ones, kept the ones they needed to keep. Who was the guy that went to Pitt a few years ago and was really good? Um, Liam Sabino. Yes, I, I couldn't think of his name. He's one example, but recently it seems like they haven't been bitten. I don't know how the kids at Georgia Tech are doing this Justin year. Justin Henry Malloy is is doing pretty well. Yeah. Uh, I follow them a little bit clo- a little closer because one of my – a guy I used to work with Athlon for years, one of our sales guys, son's uh, starting left fielder or third baseman. I think Henry Malloy might be third base. No, he's first baseman. So – I haven't looked at their stats recently. I know they had a bad weekend because they fell to the top 25. But I think he's he's having a decent time there. Charles, uh, what's it? Chance Huff is not really. He's in the bullpen at Georgia Tech, not really doing a ton. So um, Aaron Brown's pitching very well at um, at Middle Tennessee. So his 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 numbers are pretty good there. So yeah, um, they, but they've just started to get so many players. It's kind of an they get better players than they did six or seven years ago. It's just the, the 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 depth that we've talked about this a lot. Yeah. The depth of the rock from one through thirty six is the last couple of years has has been as good as it's ever been. And so there's just good there's gonna be guys transfer because they want to play. Well, it's like I talk about in football. It's like how does Vanderbilt ever win a football game? Because you look at whoever they play in the SEC and they're always gonna be worse than their opponents in recruiting rankings, and yet they'll win what, you know. 20, 25% of your games, it doesn't seem possible. The reason it's possible is you've got kids on those other teams that were four-star recruits to get in a playing time jam behind somebody else and they never see the field. Vandy gets these three-star kids and sometimes the high twos and they get more reps and they get better. And it's the reverse in baseball, right? Some of these kids here who look like they couldn't play, they get into year three and four, they get more experience, they get opportunities elsewhere. And it just works the other way in in that case, right? And it's just it's while recruiting rankings are very very important, and and if you don't believe that, you're probably you know being a little uh, naive. But it's not all recruiting rankings, like you said. If that were the case, and Vanderbilt would win even you know few, fewer football games, and Vanderbilt baseball would would never lose. But that's it's not all recruiting rankings. It's about performance, and some guys just come out of nowhere and some guys top recruits don't live up you know we've seen plenty of baseball players come in and, and not be as good as advertised so that i mean that's that's the way you want it you, you you don't want every sporting event college sporting event uh decided on the quality of the roster by the way this is out of date because jack Leiter is six and Jaden hill is five and judd fabian is eight 
And Fabian's having a horrible season last I checked at Florida. But they've got MLB.com. Jonathan Cannon was their number 27 prospect, and I think he will move up after what he showed this weekend. So he's a first-rounder according to MLB.com. So there's that. He was was very impressive. By the way, um, Liam Robbins has transferred to Vanderbilt. Okay. I was hearing it was going to be Iowa or Vandy. I, frankly, I thought he would have gone to Iowa because he's got a family situation there, um, and that's that's where he's from. And so that's a big get for Jerry Stackhouse. Yeah, um, at the Athletic, we do well, not we because I'm not part of it, but they do a ranking of like available transfers and and recruits or whatever. And I think he was like 25th on it. And um, Sam ben, Sam Benini, uh, not Sam Benini, Sam Bassini. We have a Chris Benini and a Sam Bassini. Uh, did, did a little write up on him and was very, very, um, you know, uh, praised him a lot. And the one thing that jumps out, two point seven blocks per game. That's that's a lot. That's that's a that's yes a good right there. Eleven. He is he is exactly what they needed last year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what yeah. they need next year, frankly, too. But yeah. just saying. So I, I mean, how many times did we say that? <laughs> he's a grad transfer, so I mean, in theory, he could have he could have not use this year and have two years of eligibility. But my guess is he's already, this is already his third school. So my guess is he, he's a one year guy at Vanderbilt. But, but like you said, not too many off, not too many times a, a seven footer who, you know, average 12.6.6 rebounds and almost three blocks a game falls in your lap. So definitely a good get. Well, I'm guessing that means Ed Conroy, who is his uncle is a done deal, his assistant. Uh, of course at Vanderbilt, you know how things go. You, you're hired and then you're not officially hired for two or three more weeks because background checks and all stuff and so by the time the school puts it out there guys usually been on staff for a couple of weeks but that that tells me that's what I've been hearing for a few weeks is Conroy was going to be one of their assistants for next year Faraji Phillips is not with them anymore I don't believe so that that would that would also imply that I would think yeah I like Ed Conroy in fact I um started following his career when he was at the Citadel his his uh cousin Pat Conroy is an author and has written some really good book called my losing season about playing at the Citadel in the sixties. And, uh, he did, Ed did really well at the Citadel. And when Tulane hired him, I thought that was a good hire. And Tulane is a difficult place to win in basketball, but I thought that he was a good up and coming coach. And, um, I did not realize he was at Minnesota before all this, but he, he's a guy that's, you know, well-respected and, and, you know, has been a head coach for a while. Well, he's been in coaching for what, roughly 30 years. Is he that old? Ed uh, maybe 25, but he's been around a while. Hold on. I'm, our friend Wikipedia is... Uh, yes, I'm, I'm checking with our friend. Okay, he's 54. He's older than older than I thought. Yeah, so he was... Uh, I was an assistant in Tennessee from 2003 to 2005 in Coastal Carolina. There was a head coach at the Citadel, head coach at Tulane, and he's been at Minnesota since. Yeah, I mean, Citadel is a very difficult place to... to, to in, in just in athletics, the nature of the school. He went... Four and fourteen in the conference. He went one and nineteen his second year. Then fifteen and five. That has to be one of the great in-season turnarounds in any conference ever. From one and nineteen to fifteen and five. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't really judge assistant hires by head coaching records. I mean, like if a guy was no, a great no, head coach, no, I, then I it helps. It's a bonus, but it's they're two different things, right? I agree, and but in this case, it's nice for Jerry Stackhouse to have a guy on his staff who's been a head coach. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I, I think it's it's a bonus, and and this again, this is exactly what they needed. This is what I've been saying for two years. You just can't win 
realistically with the staff he has, you can't just line up and out coach and out develop everybody. You need somebody with connections. And so I think this is a really good move for them. This is a name that when he got hired, uh, I had a source. I would still have a source in that industry that said, watch for Conroy maybe to be one of Stack's hires at Vandy. I don't know why Jerry didn't go with them, or, or maybe he was offered and didn't come or whatever. I don't know why it didn't pan out the first time, but it's interesting that, that Ed Conroy's name was mentioned before Stackhouse filled out his staff when he was hired, uh, and now you see it come back around and, and apparently come to fruition. Yep, yep. So, yeah, a good, a good get from a coaching standpoint and from a uh, and from the big guy standpoint. It says someone, I don't, Ryan James, looks like he is a um, the Minnesota 247 guy, said, Ed Conroy, Liam's uncle, is also headed to Vanderbilt. Yeah, yeah, that's been rumored for a couple of weeks. But again, I, I mean, they, yeah, they may not make it official for a month. But anyway, um, where were we with baseball? Um, talking about Georgia's pitching being good, and one, one thing about baseball too, and I mean, it's such a cliche, and it's baseball, and it's you know, it's only a thirty-game SEC season as opposed to one hundred sixty-two, but like. It's just things have a ha- coming around, like you know, like we said, Vanderbilt is playing at such a great level, so hard to sustain that. Um, I like look at Tennessee, who they're playing this week, who's obviously having a great season and stuff. But Tennessee was winning a bunch of close games. They were, you know, I watched some of the Alabama series. They and, and again, this is a skill. Yes, they're winning a lot of close games. It's a it, like walking is a skill for being patient to some degree, but there's also some luck involved. Like Alabama walked a ton of guys last week. Florida was up 3-1 yesterday, and they walked four straight guys, I think, in an inning. Um, so the ball had been bouncing the right way for Tennessee. Again, you, you've got to create your own luck and all that. So it was just kind of an example yesterday of the sport coming around to bite you when they're up two runs in the eighth and they got a pinch hitter coming and hit a three-run homer. Um, it's just sort of like baseball is a way of reminding you that uh, y- you can't just keep winning. Things sometimes don't go your way. In the sense of outcomes, I think Tennessee has been fortunate this year. But in another sense, the two kids that I think everybody thought were their best hitters were Connor Pavoloni and Max Ferguson. Those kids have just not had good years. So there's a little bit of counterbalance with that where you can say Tennessee's kind of gotten fortunate, but you can also say they're probably due to have a couple of guys who would normally hit for them come around. So I, I think either way you slice it, that's a really dangerous team. Yeah, I mean, very good. We, you've kind of seen this coming. They've been recruiting better. Um, obviously, they've, they've always had some talent. Um, and, you know, it's it's staggering that they went from, what, 05 to 18 or 19 without making a regional. That's being an SEC program, especially one with such a good tradition like them, it's almost hard to go that fought long without making a regional, but uh, obviously right now the program's in, in much better shape. This weekend they were without Cooper Davis and Isaiah Thomas. I've made an inquiry into when those kids will be back, and I have not heard back. Uh, you know, it was interesting that when Thomas was out for LSU, Corbin said that was kind of a day-to-day thing, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden he's not even on the 30 this weekend. I, I don't really have any idea how it's progressing with either of those guys. Do you? No, I would my not educated guess, but my guess would be that just Thomas is closer to coming back. It sounds like Cooper Davis with a hamstring might be uh, a, a little bit longer. Um, so you know Thomas is is the big one because you, you know he hasn't been consi- 
hasn't been from start to finish just killing the ball this year, but we've we've seen it. You know, he has he's, his numbers are really good, and he's he has been very productive. He's a good defensive outfielder, um, and just obviously when you lose a guy who's with those numbers, it's just it, it hurts your lineup. The one thing you know, we, we and you've been on the Jack Bulger kick all year that just even when he wasn't didn't hit for an average, he was hitting the ball hard. That guy just you you expect him in the line drive in the gap every time he's up. Yeah, Bolger was the only guy that I thought just looked really solid all week. Well, I would put Rodriguez in there, too. I just feel like when those two guys are up right now, uh, Bolger did get fooled a few times, actually. Bolger got really fooled. Webb made him look terrible on a couple of balls. Uh, but, I mean, he, he doesn't stay fooled for long. I thought that just the, the, probably the issue this weekend was, I guess, Coaches have found something in Bradfield that they're exploiting because he wasn't taking many bad swings at all this year. He's taken several now. Keegan's starting to to really rack up some big strikeout games, which I didn't expect because he'd been so solid. I don't know if Georgia just had a special plan to pitch those kids that nobody else had happened upon, or, or maybe they're just better arms than they face. But um, I don't know. It, it, it kind of just threw everybody for a loop. But I will remind people, too, you know, you had the Duke game in the the regional a couple years back where they lose, what was it, 18-6 to six or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, and we're all going, my goodness, we haven't we haven't seen that yet. We don't know what to expect. And and it came right back around, and they, they rolled the rest of the year. So um, I, I don't know if that's an adequate comparison because that team was a lot more experienced than this one. Uh, but the point is to say – just after you've really taken a, a big kick and it, it makes you really question your faith in a team, uh, sometimes a ship writes itself uh, pretty quickly. Right. Obviously, there's no guarantees, but we, we've seen enough pretty much from every, every guy in this lineup through four weekend, you know, Oklahoma State, through LSU, that they're capable or better hitters. And I, I think, you know, I agree Bradfield he wasn't on a great weekend, but he did get a line drive single. Um, and then that bun hit on Saturday to, to at least salvage something there. So, um, yeah, I mean, just there's, there's no secret. They're going to face a lot of good pitching, especially with the the, uh, the series with Tennessee, Mississippi State coming up. Uh, they're going to see a lot of good pitching. So uh, their stars are going to have to pitch well, which I think we all have confidence in. And, uh, oh, one thing we haven't talked about, you know, I think no one knows for sure, but obviously did not look great with Sam uh, Laboki. That, that would yeah. obviously be a huge blow. Um, this team has a lot of pitching depth, but that's a guy that we've all just been really impressed with whether or not he eventually be a Sunday starter or a guy you plug in on a, on a Saturday to go get you from the fifth to the eighth inning. Um, that would be a big loss. Yeah. That looked too much like what happened to, uh, Jaden Hill last weekend. Yep. Almost identical. Yeah. Just the way they clutched their arm and came out of the ball game and, um, Anyway, let's go to the mailbag quickly so I can get you out of here. Our mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood. Josh can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Mr. Vandy says, any major concerns coming out of the baseball weekend? Uh, majors, you know, we've, we've talked about most of them, Chris. Major is definitely too strong of a word there. I mean, they're, they're concerns. Um, when things are going so well, you you know, you don't, you don't want to, you know, be that 
inept at the plate at times. Again, it was good pitching and, um, um, you know, some days we'll, we'll st- until they solve it, I guess Sunday's still going to be a question what, what you do there. Um, I thought Riley looked, I thought they might take him out after going through the lineup one time. I mean, he, you know, he ended up giving up a couple hits there in that the, the top of the fourth, was it, or whatever. But uh, I, I thought he looked good. I don't know if he will retain that spot there, but he's he's definitely a hard thrower. Looked like he was having, I'm far from a pitching expert, but looked like he was having trouble kind of throwing a breaking ball for a strike. There were a lot of fastballs there. Um, so, you know. Anytime you lose two or three and you get blown out twice, there's got there's going to be some concerns. Yeah, I, I think my concern is the health. Just because you're at a point where you're starting to teeter a little bit because of that, and God knows you can't afford something else out of the blue. Right. So, VU Titans says, have you heard any news about the Vandy play-by-play announcing job? Are they still looking, or is it Kevin Ingram's job? Um... I think Kevin is a is a strong candidate. That's that's kind of what I know. I mean, I I think they've there's been a ton of applicants. Um, obviously, as you'd expect, um, and Kevin is is a I believe is a strong candidate. I don't know who any of the other ones are. Yeah, there, there was some thought that they might be like through IMG that you might have a guy say I'm I'm just making this up at Oregon State or Wake Forest or Iowa State or somebody that's a, a number two behind a guy that's entrenched somewhere that with IMG involved they might want to give that guy a chance but that's just speculation frankly I hope Kevin gets it that's well first of all I think he does a good job second of all I really like Kevin personally I think anybody that knows Kevin really likes him so some of this is admittedly very personal but I am rooting for Kevin to get that job oh I am too I like Kevin a lot he's he's uh, as we say here in the south he's good people and I've heard people say, oh, he's not enough of a Vanderbilt guy and all that. Well, first of all, anytime you hire a play-by-play guy, they're not a quote-unquote guy. Okay, if, if Willie Donick got the job, you'd say, okay, he's a Vanderbilt guy. He played two sports here. But, like, when a, a new when a school hires a play-by-play guy, a lot of times they have no ties. They grow into the role. Kevin's growing into this role at Vanderbilt. Like, you can tell – I don't listen to baseball telecasts that much because I'm just, you know, usually watching or I'm not around. I'm just not like him in my car. Uh, but but you can tell he likes being you know he he enjoys the Vanderbilt baseball cr- program uh, you know ho- we don't want any you don't want someone to be a homer but you want him to be you know you, you know what I'm getting at Chris and I just don't think that's a very fair c- criticism of Kevin that he's not enough of a Vanderbilt guy he's more of a Vanderbilt guy than if they hired some dude who's like the currently the guy at like Elon right now and they brought him up. No, I completely agree with all that. I mean, Kevin's a pro. He's going to do his job, and and if that job is to to whatever, he's going to do it. But Kevin has has three things that I think make him good for the job. I think first, Kevin's very smart, but um, more than three, he works very hard. Um, I, I think he's very very polished, and and that's really hard to do on the radio. And, and trust me, if 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 you have never been in that chair. Uh, and tried it, you have no idea what you're getting against until you you do that. Number three, or, or really the fourth, that Kevin's got a sense of humor too, which I think really helps too. Um, you know, because teams are, are going to go through rough patches, and you're going to have stuff that uh, sometimes you don't know how to deal with. And I think just having having that and an affability to you, uh, I think are really nice kind of throw-ins with him. I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, Glacial Pace says injury timelines overall and how those line up with the postseason run. I would think 
they get all the hitters back. Um, now, I don't know how well Colwick is going to be able to drive the ball if he takes the job at second back. Um, you know, the, the pitching, I mean, I, I just, it, at this point, I don't know you're not you're not going to get Laboki back, I don't think. I mean, we'll, I shouldn't speculate, but I, I saw what I saw, and everybody thought the same thing. You're not getting Doolin back this year. Spencer Jones isn't going to pitch this year. Uh, I think you'll see Ethan Smith again very soon. And uh, we didn't see Schultz this week. And I think Schultz actually I meant to bring this up earlier. I think Schultz can help them in a two to three inning role. I think he seems to be pretty good first time around. And then second time is where he's gotten hit. Yeah, and I thought we might see this, and maybe that was the plan anyway, not necessarily with Schultz, but if they can get, which most games they will, Rocker and, and Lighter to go deep in games and be relatively fresh for that game three, then you can go with, you know, Patrick Ryan for three innings, Schultz for three innings, and kind of go by, you know, uh, go by committee there. Because um, one thing, you know, we talked about that last, last week, but, you know, Maldonado has been – very, very impressive, and um, McIlwain pitched well over the weekend there too. So if they can stay relatively fresh the first two games, there's there's enough, definitely enough good arm to get them through Sundays. Dorking says, did this weekend change his outlook for the baseball season? Uh, not really, because I you just they weren't. No one's consistently as good as they were had been playing. I, you could say the, the 2013 team that went 26 and three, maybe they were in the regular season, and we saw what happened there. So, um, you know, if, if I if I was putting a percent chance of winning a national title, and I'm just totally making these numbers up, if I had them at 62 percent before, maybe it's at 59 percent now. I mean, obviously, you can't feel as good about the team right now in the moment as you did before last weekend, but it's still a very, very good team with two elite starting pitching pitchers yeah what I would say is I need to see more and I really need to see how they handle everything when they get everybody back and healthy and, and I mean I say that it might not even be right then right you, you might get Thomas back and Davis back and it might take him a couple weeks to get back in the swing of things like you saw Keegan come back and he I think I want to say struggled a little bit right away sometimes you have a guy that comes back and just hits like Blade did that but I'd say that's the exception to the rule I think you kind of have to put the jury out on that for a while. The one place where I think I've changed, I think they went the last weekend, the favorite to win the conference. I think now that has to shift to Arkansas. Yeah, probably. Um, although Arkansas has been known that they gave up 15 runs on a Friday night to, to uh, was it Alabama? Yeah, uh, Arkansas, and Arkansas, and Arkansas has gotten six. by on some good fortune too. Uh, but yeah, let they, me let they, you finish your thought. Yeah, they gave up six. They gave up. They blew an eleven nothing lead yesterday. Ended up winning eighteen fourteen, I believe. There, and I don't pretend to know enough about Arkansas's pitching situation, but all I know is if Vanderbilt blew an eleven nothing lead on a Sunday and gave up fourteen runs, people, you know, that that would not be sitting well. Yeah, Arkansas. I'm looking at expected records based on runs scored in the conference. Um, to to fractions of decimal points, Arkansas is nine and three. Should be 6.8 and 5.2. Vanderbilt is 9-3, and three, should have 8.5 wins against 3.5 losses based on runs scored and runs allowed. Yeah, and yeah, some of that can be fluky. Like, I don't know, that Arkansas game when they gave up 15 runs to whatever, Alabama, did they pitch a freshman 
in a game and give up four extra runs. Not that four extra runs over the course of a season would matter. Same thing with Vanderbilt, you know, maybe give them a couple extra runs in both of these games that they wouldn't have. But hey, that everyone that happens to everyone. So it's not really, you know, it all evens out. Yeah, Alabama, excuse me, Arkansas and Tennessee are the two wins that are at least two teams are at least two wins ahead of where they should be by that measure. Yeah, which it's always interesting, but you know. The bottom line is, you know, you, you are what your record says you are, to quote Mr. Bill Parcells. Right, right. And, and But I, I do think you look at those things for signs of impending cracks. And I think that Arkansas is not – now, having said that, Arkansas has also played maybe the toughest schedule in the country. Theirs has been, according to RPI, you know, a good chunk ahead of Vanderbilt's uh, and Tennessee's yeah. for that matter too. Tennessee's played a tougher schedule than Vandy, according to the RPI. So there is some of that too. Is it some of that has been because Arkansas has faced a much tougher schedule? Yeah, I think basically the, the Vanderbilt schedule right now gets hurt by playing Missouri and Tennessee's hasn't and Arkansas. I don't know if they do play Missouri, but um, you know, Missouri's RPI is very even though they're kind of they've won some games. They took two or three from Texas A and M, one won South Carolina. There are RPIs in the hundreds, I believe. Yeah, and here's the thing. Uh, you've got three teams right now with RPIs in the 100s in the league. That's A&M at 122, Missouri 102, Auburn 104. Vanderbilt will not play any of those three teams. So that's bad going forward for league title aspirations. But in terms of RPI, you're not going to get that mega weekend drag by playing any of those three teams. You've already got Missouri in the bank. So, Right. Uh, Arkansas plays A&M. The the team, Georgia's the team that really can make up ground the next three weeks. It plays Kentucky, Missouri on the road, and then Auburn at home. Uh, But but the RPI will take a little bit of a hit there too. So anyway, Mitch, I'll let you go. But before I do, I want to give you the floor to promote anything at The Athletic, to hand out your Twitter handle, all that good stuff. Uh, You can find me at Mitch Light and – Nothing, nothing really. Uh, kind of slow time of the year um, at the athletic as far as any any uh, Vanderbilt content, but um, uh, athletic.com. A lot of good recruiting projects we're working on. I'm in addition to my other responsibilities, I'm also the recruiting editor, so we, we got a lot of stuff coming up that's uh, over the next six weeks. So, but that's about it. Okay, for Mitch Light, I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening, and we'll come back with many more episodes later in the week.